0: Welcome to Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast where we talk about witchcraft, paganism, music, the occult, and whatever else we want. Welcome back to Hoof and Horn. In this episode, Samuel Braxis and I discuss The Four Elements of the Wise, Earth, Air, Water, and Fire, with the author Ivo Dominguez, Jr. Before that, though, we discuss a whole bunch of things, from the assembly of the sacred wheel, creating and maintaining healthy covens and traditions, the difference between appreciation and appropriation, and so much more. Ivo is an absolute treasure, and if you haven't already begun to add his books to your library, it's now time to start. Here's a little bit about Ivo. Ivo Dominguez Jr. is a visionary and a practitioner of a variety of esoteric disciplines. He has been active in Wicca and the pagan community since 1978, has been teaching since 1982. Ivo was a founding member and a past High Priest of Keepers of the Holly Chalice, the first coven of the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel, a Wiccan tradition currently serves as one of the elders of the assembly, a Wiccan syncretic tradition that draws inspiration from astrology, Kabbalah, the Western magical tradition, and folk religions of Europe. His techniques and insights are rooted in a synthesis of traditional metaphysical teachings, modern science, and memories from past lives. He has taught at many gatherings, conferences, and venues across the United States and abroad. Evo is also a professional astrologer, who has studied astrology since 1980 and has been offering consultations and readings since 1988. Evo has been published in numerous periodicals and is the author of the book we discussed today, The Four Elements of the Wise, as well as Keys to Perception, A Practical Guide to Psychic Development, Practical Astrology for Witches and Pagans, Using the Planets and Stars for Effective Spellwork, Rituals, and Magical Work, Casting Sacred Space, the core of all magical work, spirit speak, knowing and understanding spirit guides, ancestors, ghosts, angels, and the divine. He is also one of the creating forces behind Awakening the Dream, A Dream Whose Time Is Coming, and Dreams Sung True, three chant CDs that are fundraisers for the New Alexandrian Library Project. So grab a snack, a beverage of choice, maybe light a candle or some incense and jump into the discussion. And a little bonus, see if you can find the Easter egg of when I had to run from the room for my coughing fit. It's really stinky having to get over a cold. Remember to like us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and you can reach us here on Anchor by leaving us a message, or you can send us an email at hoof.horn.podcast at gmail.com. Now here's parenchyma. With the song, Witch's Milk, off of their album, Shaping the Invisible. Get ready. This one, it'll melt your face off.
1: My old friend, <laughs> <laughs> i come to talk
0: with you again about. Yeah, that. that. And, yeah. Dun 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 and more dun of that. Dun dun dun.
1: Exactly.
0: And the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls <laughs> and tenement halls. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, Simon and Garfunkel. No and doubt. Totally that butchered that
1: for him. What was the other song they had? Uh,
0: they had a lot of songs.
1: Yeah, but it was like... Psh, psh. It was like,
0: uh, <laughs> Oh, was it like that?
1: Yeah. Man, I forget so what it is like now. It I think How- it was like a lady's name. Shit, I can't remember. I'll look it up. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. We were a small enough podcast, that so I could probably even play it and we won't get
1: sued. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. How are you, Samuel?
2: How are you, Braxis? Oh. Well, Braxis can go first. I, I am. much.
1: <laughs> I'm great. I'm fine. I'm breathing and exhaling and inhaling. And,
0: and occasionally coughing in between.
1: coughing because I've been sick and uh, playing drums, and so everything's all right. Samuel, over to you. Oh, I've been
2: just doing peachy keen, busy as ever. Mercury retrograde is really, really just digging their heels into me. Mm. But very excited for it to be over rather soon. But other than that, I've been I've been doing as best as I can be, and that's all I can be thankful for, really. What good about
1: good you, to hear. T?
2: Tell us about how you've been.
0: Okay, I'm okay. Again, uh, it's just been a little crazy. Like this whole day, this is whole day, this whole week, I have kitties that need to go back and forth to the vet so that's annoying but i'm blessed that i can take care of them in the way that they need to today was just i thought i'd even get a chance hi i'm stinky i didn't mm. even take a shower today so i woke up gruesome at at 9 30 or 9 15 and i i was just like just get to the vet because you had to be there at 10 15 just get to the vet and you come home and then i i never stopped i never stopped I don't even know what happened this afternoon. It just took forever to get the cat back from the vet. And then I had to come home and then make sure she ate and take her medicine and then finish a placenta and drive to Indianapolis and drop it off with somebody. You will be proud of me, Braxis, that this was from someone that lived in Kokomo. And I said, Koga, no. Nice. And I dropped it off (coughs) with somebody in Indy. And then I drive back here and get my kid from his lesson and give them dinner and get here and... Interview with you know we have this podcast so yeah I'm it's a little bit delirious.
1: So it's like la da da la da 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 la da da.
0: Yeah, da 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 da. Yes, what is that?
2: Well, I am so happy that you were able to make it tonight, Queen, and you are here in one piece. Same thing for you, Braxus.
0: We are. <laughs> we're okay. He's over there googling, trying, find trying the to find the cyber I'm trying to figure Garcon
1: that's going to drive me crazy. I won't be able to sleep tonight. <laughs>
0: um. So yeah, we've got a really fun. I've been very excited for this, and also, you know, a little on edge about this. Um, this podcast interview that we're doing tonight with Evo Dominguez Jr. I'm mm-hmm. really super excited about it. Yippee. Um, So Evo was exciting. yeah. Evo is so somebody exciting. that I I met probably about a. 11 or 12 years ago through the Connecticut Wiccan Pagan Network, probably up at Harvest Home, you know, the, the, the festival up there, camping weekend. I just remember at one point turning around and there was Evo, and he was just looking so cute. And who is this man? And then realizing, oh, this, this is who this man is. Wow. Um, and so we're going to interview him in a few minutes about his new book, The Four Elements of the Wise working with magical powers of earth air fire and water or water and fire technically if i'm reading it off the book <laughs> yeah it's been um it's a heavy lifting book but it is it is a super important book
1: very insightful
0: yeah yes and intense and if you're one of those people that's looking for, I'm tired of the 101 book, give me more, then this is the book that you have to go get mm-hmm. and you have to read. And not to judge it on, I know, what's, I know about the elements, give mm-hmm. me something else. Because you haven't read most of what, you don't know most of what's in this book, I will say. Um, I'm not saying like I know yeah. everything about elements. I think definitely reading it made me um, appreciate this facet of magical work again or more in depth. Today it was, you know, racing from here or from Indy back here again and just the, the, the um, clouds cleared a little bit and it had rained um, a few minutes before that but then there was sunshine and I was just sort of looking at the trees and I was like, oh my god! We get to look at embodiments of these things that the universe is built on. Like that is some cool shit right there.
1: And what else is cool is the spectrum yeah. of your vision it's is nothing. only is only a certain amount. So think about all the other stuff that you're not seeing, not and seeing. or yeah. not hearing and going on.
2: Yeah. I really think since reading uh, Evo's book, the way I perceive the world has become so much more vibrant uh, with life uh, and with color. Even you know, um, I think that what I consider to be like basic 101 foundational knowledge like the elements had become almost a i'm taking advantage of this vast amount of power that these elementals hold these elements hold because i'm like oh well earth air fire and water those are the quarters and then oh i put water in a spell here then oh earth here and the ritual means this you know rather than really diving deep with the elements and understanding the vastness of of those beings mm-hmm. um the book really made me feel small but also extremely vast and large at the exact same time
0: yeah yeah i'm feeling like like mine like it was all do to do before you know what i mean like oh they aren't the elements no yeah no no and there's a lot to work with here and a lot that you could pull out of this book it's not a book you read once and you've read it you nope you're i'm gonna go back to this book a bunch over time um and it be able to build different things off of it and experiment off it so um i'm super stoked that we that we picked um reading this book and (coughs) being able to call upon evo and him being so generous with his time so we're gonna play a song
1: okay (laughs)
0: <laughs> and after That's the song so After the song We're gonna Talk to Eva
1: And look at our trick
3: <laughs> At least we're not live <laughs> <laughs> At least we are not live
0: Can you imagine? No. I listen sometimes to um, The Lucky Mojo uh, yeah. root, right, and they're live every time. I don't know how they do it. I
3: it's, it's a trick. <laughs> <laughs> it <is. laughs>
0: All right. Uh,
3: not what I want to do.
0: No, I don't want to do anything no. live. Nothing live. Uh, no. But here we are. Here, and we're gonna go three, two, one. Hello, welcome, Evo Dominguez Jr. to our podcast.
2: So exciting! It's a pleasure to have you.
0: <laughs> it has been a really long time since I've seen you actually uh, in the flesh, Evo. I was thinking yeah, about it, it really today. Is. Yeah, it really I I don't know. The sure didn't help. No, that definitely didn't help, and me moving to Indiana <laughs> didn't help. Um, but I was trying to think. I don't know if the last time I was there was when we took um, our. Our votary dedication when Courtney had brought us down and we did some work probably. on the land.
3: You know, I, I think I would probably have to be at. Man, you would barely recognize the place.
0: I I know it makes me
3: uh, done a lot of things since then.
0: Yeah, so can you describe what Seely Court's like for for Samuel and Braxis and anyone else that's listening because it is. I remember it being like a little slice of heaven, but I know it's changed it so much in 10 years.
3: It is, it is. It is. It, I mean, honestly, it would, it's the only reason that a hardcore extrovert like me was able to survive during these years of isolation because I could at least go outside. So it, uh, the, the short and dirty of it is it's uh, 102 acres. Uh, almost all of it's uh, uh, wooded. Uh, we are bordered on two sides by state forest and on the backside, by a, a big old uh, family farm, and then our nearest neighbor is like 13 acres of, uh, of redneck trucker.
2: Oh, <laughs> so uh, wonderful!
3: But the land is really beautiful. And it's really welcoming. There are three households on the land, uh, in addition to the new Alexandrian Library, and uh, so there's three covens on the land. If you want to, that's the other way of putting it. Uh, We have a really, really large vegetable garden, Um, we have several uh, large spaces where we do outdoor ritual, a large great circle that's about a a 90-foot diameter uh, clearing in the woods for uh, public events and smaller spaces in the woods for coven things. We have a labyrinth, we have chickens, we have beehives, uh, big big thing the biggest object you've noticed since you were there is there's a um, 40 by 60 foot uh, pavilion which we can do outside classes in. Wow and it's covered the, the, covered on top with solar panels because we did not want to attach the solar panels to our our roof because you know sooner or later shingles die, mm-hmm. things happen. So uh, we're encouraging, if you're gonna get solar panels and you have the space, either put it on a pavilion or an outbuilding, or make a carport. And that way you've got access to the power, um, but not the problems that are potentially inherent there.
0: That's smart. But
3: it is a glorious place. Uh, I I, I say so because I'm living here, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, the only downside to, oh, well, yeah, we got a generator, I think, since you were there. Okay. Um, because at least three or four times a uh-huh. year, power goes out. Because if, the good thing about having lots of beautiful trees around you is that they also respond to the weather, which means they fall on the power lines that are not buried. Um, so we have a generator, we have a wood stove, we have a fireplace. Because the longest time we've ever been trapped in in the house, if you will, is six and a half days. There was a killer ice storm. and yes there was if you we, we managed to get the chainsaw out and cut our way to the to the road and then you look left, you look right and as far as you can see on that long flat road you see nothing but fallen trees and we go oh we live in the middle of nowhere we're our last priority for for them to come out and clear the roads and get rid of those trees so it's a good thing we're not we're not pagan survivalists but <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're <laughs> close you don't have Thousands of canned jars just hanging around to be utilized. We do keep a, we do keep two months worth of food in the house at all times,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and we do have uh, our own our own source <laughs> of well. <water laughs> we have a septic field, <laughs> generator, and solar panels. So, yeah, right. if worse came to worse, we'd be all right <laughs> through a major winter storm or hurricane or whatnot. And we have a ton of friends that say, "Hey, if things go bad, I'm going to be in your backyard." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, well, there, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, that would be the when place to go, your backyard. When it's not
3: COVID, when it's, when it's not COVID land uh, and we hope to go back to normal, there are, I mean, every weekend pretty much something's happening, whether it's uh, a workshop or a ritual or one of the is doing something or we also do sweat lodges or on the property. And uh, we do a lot of things. So that normally it is jam-packed full of people. So even though I live in the middle of nowhere with my beloveds, uh, we get lots of flow through of people and our land has also been open and used by many, many traditions not just ours. Actually mm-hmm. we're, we're, our land is being used for an outdoor croning and eldering ritual for a different tradition later this month because somebody's got to have enough room to do an outdoor thing that's going to be COVID safe, especially with elderly and, and yeah. immunocompromised folks. So, yeah. anyway I'm blithering.
0: No, not at all because it it's like revisiting it. It's such a beautiful place and I think it was really nice going down there that time that the novices Lunar Temple Coven did cuz we got to help you guys fix some trails and we raked yeah. a bunch and moved it. So we kind of like, you know, a little <coughs> blood, sweat and tears in the land. And then also and it is a constant
3: and it's a constant process keeping the trails and everything. I can it's imagine.
0: Yeah. So when it came time yet. for that ritual at nighttime, I felt like it actually helped me because I had no idea that Courtney was just going to hand me a flashlight after the whole thing and be like, go out into the woods on trails in the pitch black with a flashlight. But I realized I know where I am because we had been, I know where I am. I can get through this. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to hang out over in the area you have for the ancestors. That'll be a good idea. That was not a, a good idea.
3: No. <laughs> was if, you want, if you want company while you out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I went. I was like, I'll sit here because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And your wolf hybrids were in the house and they started to go crazy. Were
3: they, were they howling at you?
0: Yes. And I said, you need to get out of here right now. And so I just made my way over to where you had the labyrinth and figured, let me walk the labyrinth and I'll sit here for a while and walked myself out. So this is actually in Delaware. Uh, So maybe um, you could tell us a bit about the the, uh, assembly.
3: Sure. Okay. So the uh, Assembly of the Sacred Wheel uh, is a Wiccan tradition that started in 1984. And, it's, and uh, the reason we started was this. Uh, several of us had been doing the very early days of the pagan gathering scene um, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I'm 63 to put that in context. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bathe in the blood of the innocents. That's how I stay young. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Your skin is just glowing with innocent youth. There we go. Well, nothing innocent about me, but at the time Jim and I owned uh, the local alternative bookstore which was also the metaphysical bookstore, the feminist bookstore, the queer bookstore, the science fiction, fantasy store, you know, the whole deal, mm-hmm. because th- that was the era. And we said, you know, we're tired of driving uh, hours and hours to get to anything, and we uh, the study group uh, we had a book club at the store and the study group uh, was lots of people that had some kind of background we had you know like a, like three gardenerian first uh, an alexandrian second a couple of somewhere in their process with golden donner oto people two people were studying with Sunbear, if you remember who he was back then uh, jibwa uh, medicine man mm-hmm. and so that we but we were all living in delaware and it's kind of like how many hours and then we went through a discussion process of hey, um, well I suppose we could you know carpool together and spend a couple of uh, years uh, studying with people that are far away and then come home freshly anointed by their juju. And Then we said realistically we're, we're going to begin to resent the travel or not be able to keep it up consistently for the time. So we said we're just going to create our own thing. And we uh, did lots of study, and then eventually, uh, in, in round 84, we said, we're going to create a ritual that, to create the first coven, if you will. And that was Keepers of the Holly Chalice. And then after the coven was up and running for six years, we said, I guess it's stable. And remember, uh, boys and girls, you know, and, and gentle beings, that uh, covens are, uh, ears are like dog and cat ears. So uh-huh. you have to, look like, you know... <laughs> Multiply how long that really is. Yeah, yeah. And all these cycles of transformation. But after we'd been together for six years, we said, "You know what? We've been holding open rituals, teaching classes, doing stuff locally for six years, and we're still here." So we created a. We we talked amongst ourselves, and we picked a couple of us that were the uh, most knowledgeable and most effective ritualist, et cetera and created a ritual to basically do the queen bee thing where you are, right, these are the workers, we're going to feed them the royal jelly. So basically everybody in the group raised energy. I won't, long story, but there was a ritual created to create our first, the tie the knot. It says this is how we create a tradition. These are the first uh, the people that we're going to consider the thirds in our group, the clergy in our group, and henceforth. And then about four years later, <laughs> we had... Uh, the, by four years later the coven had grown to 21 people um, and we had a the, the coven had grown to 21 people and at that point we spent uh, we had several meetings to discuss officially creating a tradition because honestly at that point we had been around longer than many of the covens that we knew of that we had originally thought about studying with uh, we would outlasted the people we were going to study with so uh, we locked ourselves into a uh, hunting lodge that we rented. And basically, over the course of a weekend, by consensus, because we are masochists, we uh, wrote the charter for the assembly as to how we would create covens, how we would spawn off, et cetera, et cetera. We're currently 14 covens. Wow. Um, we're insane, right? uh, all more or less, you know, the, the first uh, north is one in New Jersey. We're the furthest south, and then there's some over towards the DC area. But we're very different in that we uh, kind of uh, did a couple of social engineering things in this. The first one being that none of the covens really exist in isolation. In many traditions, covens pretty much, they hive off, they do their own thing completely. Almost everybody in our tradition is cross-trained by several other people in other covens within our tradition And indeed, when it comes time To make a third degree Make uh, somebody who then is a Quote-unquote official clergy <coughs> In our tradition um, The Whoever the coven leadership may be Whether that's priestess Priest, ex We have uh, we added a non gendered term as well mm-hmm. um, Well, they don't get to choose When somebody has studied long enough They've got then The person who uh, is the in in charge of that coven, or the two or three people in charge of that coven, present to all the other thirds, this is the person that we think is ready. They get interviewed by a... a, a, You have to have a majority of all the thirds interviewed by all the other third degrees. Then the person leaves, it gets discussed, so it's a vote of all the other thirds that determines who who are the other new thirds, rather than leaving it up to one or two individuals. It also helps to uh, break down the Uh, toxic nuclear family phenomena that often occurs in in small groups and everybody in there has been proctored or trained by people from several other covens so that at any point in the process everybody knows that uh, I'll I'll compare it to the extended family idea if if you're having a problem with, with something you can go talk to leadership in another coven in the assembly or you can talk directly, I'm an elder in the assembly, there's three of us, uh, me, Robin Fennelly, and Michael G. Smith, mm-hmm. and we are unofficially members of all the covens, and none of them. Okay. Nice. And so, oh. besides teaching and running things periodically, we're also like the um, ombuds people, if you will. For and our, but, our, but, our, but our primary job description is glue, holding the, <laughs> holding the uh, covens together. <laughs> so... We borrow from a lot of things but honestly it was designed to create community as much as it was to um, train people and uh, you know bring the mysteries into their life. And I'm going to pause and have a sip of tea. Sure. Allergy season, yay. Oh, I hear
0: it. Yeah, what I kind already of tea? ran I already ran it's from the room. I a coffee tea with
2: jasmine and a little bit of nettle. Mmm. Nettle you picked yourself or is it nettle that's already in the in the tea? No, no I added the nettle from outside, yeah. <clears throat> yeah.
0: What you do there with uh, the different initiates kind of reminds me of like the idea of fostering between kingdoms, you know. That was actually it.
3: part of the deal. Yeah? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I mean, come on, how much overlap is there within our communities of people who have an interest in medieval stuff or, right. or history or True. SCA or sci-fi or any number of things? And, but it is kind of like that uh and and that you are kind of like fostering and when somebody is you know like it also relieves the so has it ever been possible for coven leadership to feel like they have imposter syndrome yes okay so for example if somebody in your coven as part of their degree work you know because we have like broad thing category of things people need to do for each uh wants to i want to study herbalism well if you don't happen to be an herbalist so karm over there in in archers of the sacred flames she go to her she'll 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 do your herbal teaching oh kitty over here she's got runes under her belt so you get assigned to or directed to one of the other people in one of the other covens that actually knows enough about that to proctor you in it and then when they feel that you've learned the amount required for whatever that stage is in your development then they write a letter and say i you know so and so has fulfilled what I believe to be the requirements for that. Bump. Done. And that way, everybody's in, like playing catch up or pretending that they know something when they don't.
0: Right. And because, then also,
3: honestly, I, we've observed a lot over the years in a lot of places. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I I remember in certain situations of you know being told not to read something or don't do that yet. And there, you know, the job of that um, priestess is to guide someone, but there were also times where it was a hold back, don't do that because that particular teacher didn't have that skill and didn't want to see the student have that skill. Do You know what I mean? And so this sounds like a really healthy way to Get around that. Get around that. Keep an ego in control and not feel like you have to know everything because these students are going to want to know everything, so you've got to know everything. And it's this constant run and run, and you never really... It's it's impossible. It's impossible, really.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anybody that can fulfill the wishful fulfillment idea of the... Uh, Coven, coven leader, teacher that uh, knows absolutely about every trad, every system, everything. They don't exist, or ones that are really good at running ritual and crap at teaching classes. Right. Uh, yeah. Or you know, so because sometimes I mean, I will I will say, and I'm, I'm not going to say who it was, but one of the people that I consider to be one of my formative, important teachers in my life. Mm-hmm. um Somebody who I never agreed to take any initiations from, because uh, I did not want to add any more oaths or promises to my very long list already, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and she was cool with that when I explained it as, my plate is full, I can't make you promises because I'm going to keep breaking them. Mm. But, everything I learned of value from that particular individual was by watching what she did. Her classes were so awful that I would sit on my hands and chew holes in the side of my cheeks uh, so that I wouldn't scream or whether I wouldn't ask inappropriate questions. Because I will fully admit, you know, hey, I was, I was, I'm sure I was pretty unbearable in some ways when I was in my 20s. And I'm sure that the best thing I could do at the time was sit on my hands and chew on my cheek so that I wouldn't uh, blow up in a class. But I learned so much. But, I, but I, what I decided was. This is, like, this is like watching a, a, a musician or a painter that is brilliant but didn't have the formal background so they don't know how to do it in a formal, organized way, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is also is training ourselves to be students that recognize that people teach in different ways. And that particular teacher that I value, I, everything that I learned about what makes ritual feel alive came from watching carefully what they did. But they don't have a long list of books. Uh, They're not known in the broader community because our community has a weird construct about uh, confusing the category of celebrity
2: with the category of teacher. Yes. Uh, I think it's also kind of hard to delineate like how you know something because most people want to see a written form. You know, like show me the book that you have written over how you do this, rather than just watching and listening. Being more of the an appropriate teacher for an active type of practice, which is ritual work. Like you can't read how someone directs the flow of energy or calls the quarters. I mean, I guess you can read, especially based off the book. You know, the elements, of the what, the four elements of the wise. Um, but really getting to see someone in action, how they call the quarters, how they direct the energy, because it's not just about how you see it, but how you feel it. You know, the the layers to it is much more dense than just read it and then you know it.
0: That's a good segue yeah. into yeah. this book.
2: <laughs> it is. Even though we could talk, even though we could talk coven's, all, all I know. The end, Pick his brain, brain. I think the assembly is such a fascinating concept. <laughs> um, I've—I uh, can't remember who told me, but I've, someone mentioned that coven's typically last around three years. You know, so anything so anything over three years, especially multiple groups, is like astounding.
3: I'll throw one last thing in about that. And over 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 our many many decades at this point, uh, we've only had uh, uh, one coven that actually had to, that actually had to be shut down and will eventually be rebooted. <laughs> which honestly isn't bad. Not at all. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. If a coven is having trouble, or uh, something blows up, like, you know, people getting divorced, or somebody has a serious illness, or all the things, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, the other thing is that all the covens that are, are grouped in sets of clusters of four, like a village, that represent the four elements, but also we have a limit. Uh, each of the covens that are part of those little village groups of four covens, they can't be more than a two and a half, three hour drive away from each other. Because if something goes sour, and this has been done numerous times, then multiple people that are second or third degrees get assigned to pick up the slack by teaching classes, sitting in as a proctor, um, basically providing life support or respite until that coven can get its feet under itself again, rather than letting the coven fail. And, you know, having, having the students be shit out of luck because their, their uh, leadership has got a serious illness or a marriage problem.
0: Right. It's not looking at, like, covens, like your coven as a sorority that's in competition uh-huh. with another coven. You know, and I feel like I see that all the time. Now, they may not have these family ties in a way, not to use the word family, but these energetic ties, is traditional tie... But how right. healthy of a pagan world, which world would we live in if even we had that inkling of respect for other groups that exist instead of this weird competitive? You
1: you're doing it wrong.
0: Yeah, you're you're doing it wrong. We're better than you. <clears throat> how about helping each other? Because I know, you right. know, when 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 Braxis and I ran a coven together there were times that I really needed some help because I needed a break, you know, and we developed in the novices covens the the rule of the priestess person can yep. not do this alone, so that there's got to be like this maiden, and then I had someone who wasn't going to fill the maiden role who was always helping me, so we <laughs> created the sage role, right? And so, If there were covens going forward, or covens that were making other covens, there would always have to be this this um, partnership. I really like the idea of the physical distance, so that people can step in, because where my sisters are in Connecticut and New York City, and then our high priestess being in Oregon, there's really we can support each other from afar, but we can't step in and let me take over Beltane because you know Lizzie's got bronchitis or something like that or mm-hmm. work issues or, yeah, or I guess, I mean, there's a lot of
3: support you can do on the phone or in zoom or whatnot but there are times you actually need the physical hands-on yeah.
2: support yeah mm-hmm. i think that, I also think too oh go ahead tamra
0: no i'm like i'm gonna i'm putting in the request of this is the next book right evo how to make this <laughs>
3: <laughs> i wouldn't mind writing something like that um I, I might have to self-publish because I, right. I don't know how, how big an audience there would be because yeah. there's not that many people doing this. But,
4: yeah.
3: I'd but buy I it. I, I, yeah. I'd buy it. You got oh, three I, copies sold. I, I, well. <laughs> <buy it>. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there's uh, quite, it's been quite a number of years ago, but didn't Jitty Harrow write a book called Covencraft?
0: Yes. Yes. Um,
3: but that's been, what, like 15 years?
0: Years ago,
3: maybe yeah, yeah. years ago. And it's you know it's not perfect, but there are there have been a handful of books, and
2: publishers tend to be really leery because they don't sell that well. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, well, you know, I wonder if it, if they don't sell that well for like I guess we could give it like an overarching spiritual reason, you know, like how one coven does it is how not how you're going to do it, you know. So what's the point of having like a written text based off of one group's experience in comparison to? your own group
3: experience and, and that's and that's where and this is actually something i try to do uh, to the degree i can to when whenever i write a book i try to do the okay which things are going to be more broadly useful and not tradition specific and i try to keep that in mind so as a for example um you know, styles of teaching like one of the things that we that uh, part of your uh, required uh, uh curriculum if you want to be a third degree in our group is that one or more of our people will teach a class that is how to teach Mm -hmm. how to organize material um so you know and we have a couple school teachers in the group as well so those are but that's something that just to suggesting people you know it's a good idea to teach people how to teach or decision making we use three primary modes of decision making rather than just one if it is something of a spiritual nature, or let's call it uh, how we do our initiations, or which things we're going to hold as, as spiritual uh, elements that are part of our mystery, if you will, that kind of stuff gets worked out by consensus. Why? It affects all of us forever. If we're if we're trying if we're, if we're voting on a budget for how we're spending money to rent space or do other things, whatever, that's just a plain old uh, Democratic vote and there are different layers, you know, we have an annual retreat, but there's voting at couple levels, etc. So we have voting, we have consensus depending upon the nature of the material, and then we have the third one, temporary dictator. Like, for example, let's say that, like, uh, that labyrinth uh, that you walked, there was Mm -hmm. Darlene Aragon, one individual, she was in charge of telling all the workers that were digging and, and preparing the labyrinth how to do it, because... You need just one voice doing that. Or when we organize uh, a conference uh, that's like a three day or four day conference, you have a t- temporary dictator that runs it. You don't have to go back to everybody in the group to make every decision either by voter consensus. So the nature of the task should determine the style of decision making rather than this is our sacred form of decision making. So I, I think there are some things that can be thought of as applicable that are not related to liturgy, that are not related to ritual style, yes. that are just about how you organize people and things.
0: Yeah, and that's 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 the book that I that I want. You know, we often joke about the priestess handbook. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know, that's it's that it doesn't have to be what you believe or how you practice or this is the. It's the, because really I think that. That's like the ligaments of what has probably been made the assembly be able to Survive. be as old and and strong that it is because you have these not magical, not the, you know, the, the class that everybody doesn't want to really like, oh, let me sign up for how to teach a class. No, yeah, that you need to sign up for how to teach a class, how to well, organize.
3: I'll, I'll, I'll add one other since we had community as being a co-equal goal. With also uh, teaching and, and and sharing what we know, so there is zero pressure for anyone to ever be initiated. You can be a full-fledged voting member, never have an initiatory ritual. Um, there is zero pressure if some, even if somebody's really talented, and we want them to. If they're not interested in pursuing a tenure, a, a ritual track to become an initiate, they don't have to. And indeed at this point, we've actually created two, two kinds of thir- third degrees. Hmm. And they don't, you don't have to stick with it, but basically some people say, I want to be a third degree because I want to do research and teach people. And then there are people that say, I want to be a third degree because I want to uh, uh, run a coven race and raise people up in magic. Because okay. they're not necessarily going to be in the same body. One person may be really yeah. good at doing the, the uh, they're going to float from coven to coven uh, and, uh, and, and teach classes, but you would hate to have them run a puppet. Right.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Or, and, and it's not necessarily because they're bad people, but, uh, it requires a particular uh, skill set mm. to do the human stuff.
4: Yeah.
3: hmm hmm Anyway, so that, so the, I guess what I'm saying is look at all the stuff that you do and figure out what serves and... What's just uh, copy and pasted from what you thought things
2: were supposed to be like?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I um, I think that's a great segue into your okay, book. You. Uh, no, that's no. I love what you're talking about. I mean, that's in, like that's just stunning to me that you could have just more than one coven be connected, and then they all work interconnectively rather than just being so like hived up and separate. Um, but regardless of that, so you had mentioned um, like. How to get people away from just following what they've just read, um, and that was one of, and that was one of my questions: is how do you how do you come up with this information that you've presented in this book? Because some of it, I mean, I've been practicing for over nine years now, nine ten years now, and I've literally never read or heard any of this information that I've read in the book that was more than just Earth is this, Fire is this, you know, like Platonic solids and sub elements, like. I've never heard of that before. So, how do you develop those theories of practice based off of just, I guess, I guess, nothing to go off of other than just be like, okay, well, let me try this and let me see how this works. So there are recovery. Right, so I have four questions. Tease it apart. Uh, let's start with uh,
3: the the only way I think that you can learn anything. Is to step outside of your own tradition and your own way of looking at it. Uh, all systems are self-limiting, and from within, there's you can be very deeply connected to it, but you can't fully understand it. So, and I think it goes back all the way to the beginning of how the assembly came together, and that we had people. So the sub-element stuff. My first exposure to that was that's kind of like a uh, in, integral lower beginning level stuff at the uh, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So that's straight Mm -hmm. ceremonial magic stuff. So I also was an astrologer at the same. I was being trained in astrology at the same time that I was being trained uh, as a witch initially. So my so the first thing is, if you actually even if you want to make yourself focused on witchcraft and being a witch, by looking at all the surrounding fields of knowledge, the sacred sciences, whether it's alchemy or astrology or various kinds of esoteric herbalism, or looking at ceremonial magic, um, looking at chaos magic, looking at uh, what people are doing in reconstructions, because everyone's got chunks of the stuff that this is our core material, and collect it, but then curate it and reframe it from the perspective of how would a witch use this or how would a witch view this or how does that fit into and expand what I know. And a lot of times, and I, I prefer to compare it to things in, in the natural world, and I'm going to compare this to the simple one of uh, 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 Newton and, and Einstein. So you know, Isaac Newton was right about the laws of motion and gravity and some of the basic things that we know about physics. Uh, Einstein comes along and, and, and expands it into different relative of possibilities, but one does not negate the other. So the other bit is I'm always looking at other people's knowledge or other systems' knowledge and say, how does that expand or extend from from uh, where I am or or does it? And if it doesn't, then it may be something that is completely spiritually and magically true, but it's not something that falls in the category of I can make this all hold together. So first it's, but you have to actually commit to training in things that uh, you don't like. In a lot of ways, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, I, I happen to like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. I know a lot of people do not. Yeah. So, so, so you know, I'm, I'm gonna use that one as an example. So, uh, though left to my own devices, I think somewhere in my ancestry, I must be part hummingbird because I could live on sugary things. I mean I have a horrible, horrible sweet tooth. But I'm also a vegetarian. So I eat a lot of vegetables. And mm. I, I so but a balanced diet also includes things that I would not immediately go, I really want that. Mm. So when we're when we're trying to learn enough about the elements or enough about anything, you have to also Force your way through the food, if you will, that is not to your liking, but will provide you with the with the mental nutrients to have the next bit. Or I'm not really fond of exercise, but you know what? I, I, I do it because it's it's the way to keep myself limber and healthy. So mm-hmm. when you so that the first thing I find that is problematic with a lot of s- systems and, and therefore some people and it's gotten worse to some degrees is that it's really easy to be in your bubble and be in your silo mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. and i'm not just talking about political stuff or society but also uh the, the, the things that we read and, and one of the problems that one of the reasons i think i ended up writing this book is that um the huge and voracious hunger for more and more content mm-hmm. at faster and faster speeds means that a lot of the stuff available online in or in books uh, turned into lift, uh, copy, paste, reformat, mm-hmm. um, change a couple of the words to, to, mm-hmm. to match whatever that system is. And mm-hmm. it's not that the information was bad, but mm-hmm. uh, man, it's like, do we need another cop show on TV? <laughs> Right, right, right. right. It's in the same. It's in, or, or, We do we need another NCIS? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the but the problem is that that's the same thing that happens. So in preparing this book, I start, I, I basically sat back and did the, okay, uh, what did I learn when I was when I was uh, reading the huge giant honking uh, uh, three ring binders from from philosophers of nature, which was an alchemy group. Um, I basically went through my, all my old Kavala notes. I went through my, my old astrology notes. I went through um, all the things that I had ever read about uh, uh, medieval magic and the grimoires because all of those contained chunks of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the goal was to separate out the bits that I thought would be
2: compatible to present together. I don't know if that's what you are Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's incredible because, I mean, just... Just thinking about that alone, like how much knowledge did you accumulate in those notes just to put forward this book? And I and I wholeheartedly agree with the current material and content that's being put out there. It's very copy and paste and very like you mentioned, like one oh one. You know, like this is far past, at least from my personal experience, from what I've read, is far past the 101. You know, um, I'm very excited to get to put thing, new things into practice that I've never, that I haven't even thought about putting into practice just based off of reading this book. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. But I also think that it's kind of hard for people to want to get past the 101 only because of, I don't know how this will look. You know, I know how to do this small little candle spell, you know, but I don't know what any of your book has presented to me, so I'd much rather just put it down and read it and maybe, like, get a little bit of knowledge from it and then just keep moving on with this basic info rather than trying to apply new knowledge to the practice.
0: Yeah, I mean... I think that then it comes down to the witch themselves, because if you just want like the, you know, it's like, this is, uh, when Samuel and I discussed this book a a bit, and I might've, I said it to Braxis too, this book is about, it's the four elements of the wise, right? Full working title, working with the magical powers of earth, air, water, and fire. This is so not basic. It is like a master's degree level. I did not, I mean, if you don't know Evo, you could probably go, oh, that's, I already, I already know that. I already know about the elements, you know, but this, there's things in here that I love a book that I can sit and go, wait a minute. What did I just read? Wait, oh, yeah, stop. And I got to go back to the beginning of that section and read it again because there are a lot of things like the way that you have taken uh from astrology and the kabbalah which i definitely for me kabbalah is not a first language at all so those really sections i really had to sit and read and i knew even if i take three percent of this that's work that's on me because if i want to know more about what evo just said here I'm gonna to have to put this book down over here, I'm gonna to have to go over there, and I'm gonna have, like you just said, learn this other system, and then when I digest that, I bet the next time that I sit and read this book, oh, okay, this is gonna make much more sense to me. And it's how deep do you wanna go in your craft? Do so you just wanna light a yeah. little chime candle, and it's blue because you're working with your emotions? Okay. And it works. It, that works yeah. too?
2: That works, yeah. yeah.
0: But, you know, if you want to pull in the three rays, this was, that was one section of the book that I just loved it. You know, those the yes. three rays and then looking at that one specific element, say like water, and then the ray of power, the ray of love, the ray of wisdom. And then how you took the astrological signs of that element and then pulled in that it really makes you be able to calibrate for your work down, much more focused instead of just calling the spirits of fire. You can call a very specific point that you need for that, and that's stuff that I I love. I love that.
3: And a lot of the race stuff is uh, from theosophy.
0: Okay, that was my question of where does this come from?
1: That's uh, Alistair Crowley, right? Theosophy,
3: um, no. no. Well, he, Alister knew about theosophy, but it, but uh, was uh, that's the, the theosophical society is a huge international organization that's still active today. Actually, uh, uh, Gwendolyn Reese, one of our uh, high priestesses, is uh, also very involved in in the local uh, theosophical lodge in uh, Washington D.C. Mm. But there's just so much out there, um, mm-hmm. and the, the other gift is that then. Uh, if you encounter somebody else's ritual or an article somewhere, whatever, and it draws plenty of things, well, you now have a little bit of the secret decoder ring to try to figure out what they're actually saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say that it's kind of like when you get a couple of these broader systems under your belt, it's almost like, a, all right, so if you learn Spanish, you, it's going to be easier for you to pick up Italian or Portuguese or any mm-hmm. of the Romance languages, right? Mm-hmm. So when you pick up certain kinds of concepts that have been out in the Western magical world for a long time, then it becomes easier when you run into a different flavor of to go, I think I can I can kind of like puzzle together out of context what that means. So that eventually you get kind, of, kind of past a, uh, a level of you've collected enough details and suddenly things begin to snap in on their own. In the same way that when somebody's learning how to knit or play a musical instrument or doing anything else, there comes a point where suddenly your hands know what to do.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And the same thing happens with the ideas once you've been exposed to enough of them in small doses often enough. Mm -hmm.
0: I was also really um, drawn to the the sub-elements. Because I, I, you know, one other time that I'd heard about oh, you can get to the other elements through that element. It was just a mention, you know, some some of the teachers from across the pond that had been mentioned in a class. And I went, you can get to water and fire and you can get to air and fire. But I never knew really where to go with it. Um, How did you develop that part? That was a a question that Samuel had there. You know, how did you develop that?
3: Well, I mean, so so, uh, I had run into... uh the basic information on the sub-elements in several different, uh, you know, ceremonial magic texts, some of it from the golden dawn, mm-hmm. some of it from uh, servants of the light, uh, that used to be a uh, Dolores Ashcroft Nowitzki's school uh, yes. before she retired. The school's still up and running, but mm-hmm. I learned from her. And it was all useful, but it was also very theoretical, which is not a, you know, bad thing in and of itself.
0: Right.
3: But, um, it's, you, play the, you play the desert, the, you know, the, uh, the desert island thing that if you were trapped on a desert island, you know, which things would you take with you and what would you be able to recreate from what was there?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you simply start thinking about what the relationships are between the elements and how they express in nature and how they express in the psyche so that, and I'll tell you that part of it is I'm going to go to total woo-woo land. Cause sometimes that's the way it works, right? Yeah. So in addition yeah. to all the rational, logical stuff I'm talking about, um, I'm going to say I had a vision. Dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So imagine a circle and draw the lines so that you've got a quartered circle, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that could represent Malchut, uh, the, uh, the sphere of the earth plane in Kabbalah, or let's just say it represents uh, you know the four pi wedges of the four elements here in the physical plane of reality, right? And normally, all right, we're we're sharp little lines now. Let's imagine that we're zooming in on the lines that uh, are those four pie wedges. And we get closer and closer and closer. And first it was just straight lines. And then we get really close. It's like fractals. It's like these wiggly woggly lines um, that uh, where where the elements meet. Here's the thing, they meet and mesh. If you pull them apart, Water over here may not have any of fire or earth or air per se, but because they have to fit into each other's form and essence in the physical world and every plane that they function, then you know the shape of the part that's missing. Mm -hmm. So that all of the elements, just on a functional level, have to have the imprint of the elements that they pressed up against. And that gives them a clue about what, uh, the negative spaces gives them a clue about the nature of the other. So that's one, so I said, they have to know enough about each other because if it were not so, then they couldn't be the building blocks of the universe because they would never mesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a purely physical vision kind of thing. But then I started looking at different uh, shapes that represent the elements. And there's a ton of different glyphs and shapes and systems for, for uh, squiggles that represent the elements. And then I started putting them together in different combinations and softening my vision and trying to cry into the symbols as they, as they were drawn on top of each other and see what I would perceive.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, part of that is visioning in a direct way, and part of it is it's a great way to access your, your uh, subconscious and your creativity. So then I started jotting notes about what am I feeling when I'm looking at these symbols together, when I'm looking at this color combination together. So the combination of all those, and the first experimentation so that, because you know what? Theory is great, but if you'd actually do something with it, what's the point?
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
3: Uh, What is the point? very complicated not an imperfect person in a ton of different ways and got reminded of sun Bear when we were talking about origin points but one of the things he used to say is i don't want to know anything about your philosophy unless it can grow corn <laughs> which was you know their way of saying you know to what end what does it do
4: right. yeah
3: so in the book um i put the uh, rough outline for uh the uh, a, a healing ritual that basically you end up calling water in all four directions Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: That was one of the first practical applications of it, in that uh, to fully understand all the expressions of any element, you have to see how it veers into or interfaces with all the others, and it's impossible to actually meet in a full way, or, or in a more complete way, the spirit of that element, until you've seen it in its different expressions so so that ritual is a healing ritual and i went with water as the first one because i figured it would be least likely to blow up in a way that i didn't want to see people hurt so yeah (laughs) by the way way, um, we are strong believers in alpha testing and beta testing so that you know first you do it all on paper you do it with the people in your household Okay, nothing bad happened, or this is how we need to adjust it. And then you ask governors, and you don't share it in a a public space where anybody can show up until you've actually proven that it is a stable pattern, Mm -hmm. a stable ritual form. But that, now, the first time we did that in a public place was actually at the Free Spirit Gathering in Maryland, which is an outdoor campout festival, and a lot of people loved it, and... We got reported to the uh, organizers that year as doing dangerous magic. What?
1: <laughs>
3: by people who did not attend the ritual, by the way. <laughs> Why isn't that
1: always the case?
3: Because, because, and is it because their thought was oh, no, no, if you do a ritual where the sub-elements of water are called in all four directions, and then those chalices of water are poured together to form the spirit of water in the center, everyone's going to come out of there horribly imbalanced towards water, unless you always have all four elements present at all time. Whoa, whoa, fiery abyss will open, that kind of shit. So, <laughs> um, so, so the other... So, so, no, I the actually a... Right? right? Well, I always it, I mouth. Always, <laughs> right uh uh, and and actually that was pre-buffy that that particular incident
2: (laughs) you started it buffy grabbed it from you there we
3: go well i don't know about that there's plenty of hell mouths but
2: but the other (laughs)
3: bit is that people are afraid to experiment or to allow themselves to move into different things because something could go wrong and guess what stuff does go wrong when you experiment magically. You just have to not be stupid about it
4: right.
3: uh, when you're experimenting. But it's by experiencing and doing pathworkings. We've done pathworkings to the sub-elements. Uh, we've, we've used the, the overlap symbols of the elements to as, as little visual portals to enter the sub-elements, which is actually one of the things that Golden Dawn does as well, except we have a very practical spin on it. Uh, anyway, I'll shut up for a moment. I, I think that sort of got it started. No. Well, I mean...
0: No. Don't shut up for a moment. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Just keep talking. So Just keep talking to us. Um, um, well, it does make sense, though, how you mention it. Um, I think in the book you call it eminence, when the elements are rising up into quintessence, which then becomes ether. Um, but it makes sense that they still have residual energy from each other because they all are originating from one from one thing you know so when they split off they still have trace elements one thing um i think you had mentioned in the book that they lose their um individual significance because they're no longer individual they are just a whole They're the ether
3: i think i think that uh you know everybody's heard the uh and it's, it's my favorite one, so I will repeat it forever. The uh, as above, so below, the Hermetic axiom that everybody has heard many, many times. Mm-hmm. As above, mm-hmm. so below, but in a different manner, or some variation thereof. So if if uh, you hold as part of your belief structure that everything is connected and that everything is of one piece and, and that at some point uh, you became separate from the everything to become an individuated little piece of you that's incarnate and walking around on this planet. Mm -hmm. And that I suppose, depending upon your theology, maybe in different ways, but at some point, this body ceases and whatever it was that ensouled and inspirited, this body moves and returns to a broader source. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, well, if we go through a cycle of returning to source, and individuating and returning to source and individuating and so on and so on and so on, then I'm going to say that anything else that is alive in the universe, since we come from the same universe, is probably following a similar pattern. And Mm -hmm. one of the, the, uh, maybe it didn't have like, I, I probably should have put big headlines all through the book about this. One of the secret agendas of the book is for people to think of urgency and as much existence as any other kind of spirit in in the universe Mm -hmm. and that if you believe that as i do or or some variation thereof that uh all things that are that are manifest are alive in their own way have spirit in their own way then that also has to include all those things that are less physical than the physical world honestly like behind me um It's an old picture from uh, one of our uh, Yule ceremonies, a candle lit path down to uh, the the clearing in the woods to do our Yule. But um, each of those candle flames is the vessel of incarnation of a bit of fire elemental. So whenever you see fire, whenever you see water, whenever you see air in motion, what you're looking at is the body that has been taken by an elemental to exist in the physical world. Mm -hmm. So that my take on it is that they are... They die, they are born, they are reborn They are just like us Their bodies are just very different And they're not quite as hung up As we are about my special separate little identity It has to persist
2: forever mm. So I'm wondering if in that same vein like, Would you consider, consider an individual candle flame An elemental And then when that goes out That elemental is dead Or is dying and has traversed back up it, it, I, I think that that uh, whenever you see uh, a
3: a piece of, of of one of the elements in nature, or, or mm-hmm. a, in a form that you can recognize, or like a crystal, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: or or a bowl of, of water that you can use for scrying or whatever, mm-hmm. that thing is inhabited by spirit. Now here's the part where I, our individuation is very different. Like for us, uh, at the same time, I think of all humanity as being connected in, in as as uh, we may be in, spirit, in different lives and in different bodies, but but uh, that thing that we call the stream of consciousness that's human is mm-hmm. is one thing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we re- we like our individuality a lot, but if you if you take two candle flames and hold mm-hmm. them really close to each other, what do the two flames do? Go together. They like to merge. Go together. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what I'm going to suggest is that. Uh, Mo- the elementals have no difficulty in becoming a one-celled organism, mm. the equivalent of a one-celled organism, very mm-hmm. simple but alive and separate, or becoming mm-hmm. a multicellular complex as us being, mm-hmm. and that's why you have elementals that are basically uh, just a spark of being up to uh, what I call the, the monarchs that are or, or, that are, are beings that you know stride across across galaxies, kind of things. And that the level of consciousness is constantly in flux because they become what's needed, and then part or rejoin in whatever scale is needed. So their their consciousness is what I think of as a people use the term hive consciousness, and that works up to a point, mm-hmm. but it imply, but it still implies a lot of things which limit it. But I'm just going to suggest that it's less death as as a, so for example. If I were to talk about uh, the vast array of beings that fall mm-hmm. into the broad category that people think of as Fae, mm-hmm. or the broad category that people think of as nature spirits, and many other kinds of things like that, it's not like a lot of them actually have any kind of physical uh, dense matter body. Mm-hmm. Well, They seem to have no problem interacting with each other and becoming more like, what is, what is the spirit of place? Uh, Like if if there's a being that crept up out of the forest, uh, you know, 12 feet tall looking sort of like an ent and uh, was the, uh, the, the spirit of place for that neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. it's more than the trees, it's also the soil it's also the fungus, it's also the birds it's also uh, the the soil bacteria, it's also the rocks, it's also the water it is a summation of different kinds of beings to temporarily manifest in a way that can be interactive and do a particular thing the elements are constantly making and unmaking themselves because that's the way the universe works Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so even though one could say yes, it's death it's not really death if if uh, there's, there's continuity of consciousness.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't. Know. Mm-hmm. It's 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 messy. It's complicated, and uh, I just like I yeah. just like to say that, uh, uh, and and I honestly believe that uh, we exist because uh, the reason that human beings have the, the, uh, the highly touted fourfold nature, the the consciousness that we have, is because. Uh, I think the thing that makes our mind separate from brain, because people make the distinction between the stuff that's the physical substrate that's brain and the thing that we think of as mind or ourselves, and I think that our mind is actually, uh, you know, a braid made out of, uh, out of all four elements. It's,
4: it
3: it, it, it is, uh, and if you want to get really out there, in the ceremonial stuff, people will talk in, in either esoteric Christianity or some kinds of ceremonial magic about the four holy creatures or the beings that, that uh, you know, sit around the throne of God, blah, blah, blah. I just say that that's, in my mind, I read that, oh, that's code for, you're telling us that the four elements in their biggest form are the thing that uh, connects the uh, universal mind to the physical existence that we call the universe, because, that's also one giant conscious thing as well, right? But, uh, but I believe in working with smaller beings. Whatever is big enough to be a whole galaxy or a whole universe is way too big for a human being to even bother with. I, I think that one of the big bits of uh, arrogance or hubris that uh, I, I encounter in certain kinds of magical folks is the belief that there is any way possible that we could be dealing with things that are truly cosmic anything we're dealing with they're local for local people they're not
0: (laughs) they're local for local people (laughs) (laughs) yes because they would probably just implode our brain if we we don't have uh, have bandwidth (laughs) yeah yeah
2: well i'm also kind of wondering like the practices uh, historically has been bioregional, you know? Yeah. It's been, like, what's yeah. based in your immediate area? What does right. some strange, universal, celestial, non-human ever have a concept of human experience want to do with me? Like, I need I need some money now. <laughs> Am I gonna petition some large out-of-body out of experience celestial gonna... being?
3: Oh, they'll, they'll get back to you, you know? I mean, so, like, I mean, they might get back to you when, when the sun has gone to a cinder, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: they're like, "What is money?" I've never even money. What do you need money for? So you know, so you like it does make more sense that witches would work with, I guess, what you would consider to be energetically smaller spirits, not only so weak as humans can, I guess, understand right. and comprehend so, them. So the, the
3: example I always like to give is like so: pretend that the uh, kindergarten teacher is, is, is homesick and, uh, uh, okay, we're gonna bring in a substitute, and what they bring is, in is the dean of the College of Education. <laughs> <laughs> is that a recipe right, yeah. for disaster? <laughs>
0: that fits.
3: Right? That is great, yeah. that's so, great. So, so that's what happens on a different scale when folks uh, ask for help from something that is way bigger than, than, than the task at hand. Mm-hmm. We're way older, or concerned with things that are way more abstracted than what those kids are going to need.
2: Us being the kids, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder if um, I work with my ancestors a lot, and I and I tend to ask my ancestors for more terrestrial-based things. While my goddess is more big-picture stuff, you know, I won't ask her to help with money because, again, like she's like. Prophecy and victory, war and peace, you know, so not, not great very, stuff, but... <laughs> great stuff, you know, but like money, money stuff that I need now to help me physically now is not something that's going to help me elevate spiritually as like a goddess would, you know, um, so, and I, I think that that's a very modern thing right now. I'm on TikTok and the whole nine yards, you know, about, uh, about so petitioning deity for very simple terrestrial things, you know, thing.
3: Unless you know, unless you're getting the, uh, a, a, a divine being that's uh, still in their uh, uh, middle management training stage. <laughs> so, like, like the there's so how many, department. right? I mean, so like how many beings that that get the category of goddess, god, divine being of some sort um, start as uh, ancestors of the cafe as local cultural heroes, right? Mm-hmm. And then eventually, they continue to exist in some fashion and receive the energy from people, et cetera. And eventually, they become—you know—they're no longer just a, you know, a local legend. They're now in some kind of demi divine status. And given enough time and enough people, they—they—they're—they're they're treated as, as divine beings that get the capital G add to to the front of their title. But, yeah. but so that so that the other thing is that I always like to say. Divine beings are not created equal. They come mm-hmm. in every size, shape, and scale.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And even if you are talking about uh, the ones that officially have "G," goddess, goddess, god, divine being of some kind, mm-hmm. etc., as yeah. part of their name, even then, you know, how many people are they? Um, how many people are they? Because If you have a bunch of personalities and voices in and memories of who you've been over the course of your years in your head, Mm -hmm. how many different facets of them are there? And if you are going to call upon something that is a bigger one, then that's why it's so much more effective when you're asking for a specific facet, uh, one that has Mm -hmm. named epithets that tell you that they're what almost, whether it's elementals, gods or goddesses, demons or angels, or whatever it is that you work with, Mm -hmm. uh, what you request sets the template for how they will appear. Remember, that's the pattern that you're setting in your mind to receive their their contact or awareness with them. Mm -hmm. So the more detailed you are about, I I, I want to know, I want the part of you, because I mean, I can think of a bunch of beings I work with that, uh, I, I like to give the example of a, a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. Let's say I wander into a, a cocktail party that a friend said, "Hey, show up if you can." And you know, uh, and and I talk to a while for, for, for a while with this person. and We talk about herbs and, and plants. And then I talk to this person. and We talk astrology. And I talk to this person, and we're talking about crystals. And this person over here, we talk about geeky, nerdy, sci-fi stuff forever. Mm-hmm. And then after the afterwards. When people compare notes, they go, oh, yeah, he's all into the astrology thing. Oh, no, 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 He's totally into, into the crystal thing. No, 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 he's totally into the herb thing. Depending upon the conversation they had with me, they would come away with a different impression of what my obsessions and interests are.
4: Uh-huh, uh-huh. How
3: many times have, uh, when we look at making contact with a being, whether it's an elemental or a divine being, the whole deal with having color for the altar and names and specific ritual rites and whatever is to make sure that the one that's showing up it's kind of like if you tell me ahead of time uh we're going to talk about astrology all night i would have prepared prepared myself internally completely differently
4: Mm.
3: and you would have prepared yourself with different ways so all i'm saying is that when you're communicating or communing with any of these kind of beings you have a great amount of control in whether or not they appear to you in a comely fashion
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. get specific, Use get, specific.
2: Episodes. Yes. get specific yeah, yeah. well yeah. think of how like fine tuned your results would be at that point you know rather than just calling just some random very general you pinpoint it they're probably going to work if not faster but more efficiently and more effectively if they have a much narrow road to travel rather than a vast amount of area to try and get it all together <laughs> And they brought the right toolkit with them. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Can't fix a car with a rubber band. <laughs> yeah,
3: and, and I think that when we when you invite the elements or the elementals, and I make a distinction between the two there, into mm-hmm. your ritual space or into your spell work or whatever you're doing, um, the, the more careful you are about who you're inviting or what you want to show up, you mm-hmm. get different results. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes you're just using it as, as a could you please be a source of power. Like a, there are a couple of rituals in which, and I'll, what, this also is another in the category of uh, this is borrowing from the uh, '90s uh, early chaos magic stuff. Where like if it doesn't kill us, we'll try it again. Um, because, <laughs> yeah. uh, where and it's become a thing where we we, we actually go a crossroads working of sorts, except that the crossroads we create is we open a portal to each of the four directions, we scribe a line to the center, and we basically ask for the powers of the realms of the four directions to flow on those uh, pathways to the central altar or to where somebody's standing in the center and basically uh, aren't necessarily asking for the elements to, hey, show up and, and, and have our back. You know, cover the gates for us. It's more like no. We want you to open up raw conduits of power from the four elements, mm-hmm. and have the and have the ritualist in the center be the person that weaves that into spirit ether quintessence to do the magic. Mm-hmm. And we've had some really good results for that. And sometimes it's just the altar rather than a person in the middle, or a lot of other things. But there are many more things that can be done than um, are currently done. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and I think that's the that's the that's the key that you just said right there, I think Evo. There's many more things that can be done working with these with the elements, the elementals, these energies that you have detailed in this book. And it's something that you, you know, this isn't a book that you go and you read once you're gonna you people should come back and back to it and i know that it will become a book that i go back to because i feel like it's something that can spark an idea in certain places and let's experiment and let's try it like this let's use this piece and try like that and that's what makes it i mean it's one of the things i think that makes it really special and and uh something that magical people should be reading
1: and that you're not afraid to (coughs) look be scared of another system or another way something is presented. Yeah, uh, I think it's mm-hmm. a, a great thing to be able to take that and use it as you know it to be used. Um, mm-hmm. Especially and if, in, any,
2: and if anything, if you even if you're not putting it like into practice, at least you have an awareness of it, you know. So if you happen to go right. to a ritual at the assembly of the sacred wheel, you have a conscious understanding of, oh, so they do it this way. Okay, so this is this is why they're doing it this way, rather than just showing up and being like, What are they doing? What are they saying? Why are they doing that? You know? Um, I hope I didn't cut Shem off. I don't I think I I think I totally just cut <laughs> you off mid of question. It's okay,
0: what
1: were, you, what? Uh, just, what were you saying? Just the idea of it, uh, you know, not being afraid of other systems. I know so many people who are like, that's not part of my practice. thats I'm not even going to look into that when there could be some sort of hidden nugget, secret, whatever, that yeah. expands your mind even more.
3: Well, and the other thing is you don't have to keep doing it. So, yeah. so for example, uh, many years ago, I... Uh, Made a practice. I learned and made a practice of doing the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram repeatedly. Is uh-huh. and then and then when I was done and I'd done it often enough that I felt I'm really comfortable with this. I know what I feel when it happens. I stopped doing it because it wasn't part of my practice.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But um, I'm completely comfortable with it. I, can, I, I know what it's supposed to accomplish, etc. So just because you study something well enough to understand it doesn't mean that it has to be grafted on to what you consider your core practice.
1: Sure. Mm-hmm. It reminds me um, a lot of playing drums, like you, you learn yeah. a, a boring pattern, but then later when you just sit down and play, that pattern comes up and you're using it to express yourself in ways that right. you know weren't happening in that little practice spot of just that pattern. Crazy, I applied it to drums. Weird. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs>
3: no, but... but On so, the end. But it's, but it's the thing. If you could... Ideally, uh, the goal is... So, uh, you know what uh, synesthesia is? Mm-hmm. When your uh, senses blend in funny ways and that you you know hear colors mm-hmm. and, and smell textures and that kind of stuff. And I'm going to say that becoming a, a witch or a sorcerer or a magician or whatever term it is that, that uh, people apply for themselves is to intentionally cross-wire all the ways in which we experience energy and uh, and, and, uh, and our subtle senses because that's the only way that you can actually do magic. You're actually cross-wiring different things. And the more, the more systems you've been exposed to, even if they don't become part of you, then uh, the more connections, the more things can bounce around and create new connections in you. Creativity and, and uh, access to magic is partly about becoming less locked down,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: and that's also something's going to happen. I think if you start talking to the elementals in you,
4: mm.
2: I think that what, I think that there's a, a, a problem with wanting to learn something and not put it into practice especially when it comes to something that's not of your culture you know so towing the line of appreciation and appropriation Um, yeah I, I come from an Afro Caribbean spiritual house. I was taught by uh, Yaya Nganga, Ganga, and that's a uh, Palmyombe high priestess, you know. Um, and now I'm moving into European traditional witchcraft and Irish paganism, you know. And so it is kind of it is uh, it is a hard blend of what is that tradition, what is this tradition? How do you keep the core of that practice without it losing its without losing its core meaning, but then also still do do these things you know based off of based off of how you do it so i think that a worry is appropriation even when you're just learning about it because then you're like oh my gosh i think about it this way now am i taking from this culture's religious or spiritual practice
3: there's a very long talk to be had about appropriation and appreciation absolutely uh, and uh uh, personal thing uh so i was born in cuba i have family members that are involved in something and initiates and they were like why why did you not do what we're doing it's like it never called to me
4: (laughs) yeah yeah
3: but 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 here's a distinction um I said one of the things I said was that you can understand things from the outside that the that the true believers or the insiders can't see, and vice versa. It's why mm-hmm. outsiders of every kind always are the ones that write the insightful things about you know from the outside what's going on in that culture, that community, whatever. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing: I if you are actually looking at other people's material, and what you're listening for is not if you're if you're if you're copying or aping uh their 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 chants or their style of liturgy their the flavor of of the stuff the lore then maybe you're probably going to cross over into line of appropriation pretty damn fast yeah. but if like for example uh in uh when i was uh, writing um a chunk of stuff in in my spirit speak book about divine possession and trying uh, so so here's the thing. So what I did is I went to a variety of ceremonies, and you know, I chanted, I danced, I, I did all the things. I, I brought offerings. I, I was I was polite because this is what you do, right?
4: Mm-hmm, and when mm-hmm. you're in
3: somebody else's sacred space, you you honor it so that uh, you're not pissing on it, uh, and you, absolutely, and you don't uh, yuck on somebody else's yum because there's some things that you go.
4: But,
3: um, but my. My goal was, besides learning what I could, was so I had my sen- psychic senses wide open, and I was trying to watch what happened to the energy of the people. What what was going on? What did I see just before they they started to stumble and fall? What did what what was about? What was going on in their aura just before uh, they their teeth began to chatter and they began to uh, you know show some of the signs, if you will. So that so what I did was. I paid attention to the energy and came away with insights about this kind of stuff that I'm gonna see. How does that energetic difference happen when we do our version of divine possession? So in this case it's a question of observe the magic, not the culture. Mm. So because go. the goal is to walk away from inside and out the underlying stuff that works because we're human beings. And mm-hmm. that's something but if, and when I described uh, some of the things that I saw, I got the, you know the kind of like yeah yeah that's that's not exactly the way we describe it, but it sounds like you're seeing or experiencing something so that whenever you're studying something for the purpose of adjusting or adding information to what you do, you know you can, you can chant those chants forever. you can learn the specific drum rhythms that attract particular beings and you know what? that's not going to help you one iota with the work <laughs> that, that you're that you're doing if you try to repeat it yeah. however becoming aware of oh oh um when when that person just got uh you know uh ridden by by uh, uh what i saw was that instead of most of the most of the pagan western stuff where the spirit is actually or being is actually entering and descending down from the crown chakra and filling them um, it was more like like you took the layers of the aura of the person and the layers of the aura of, of, of the spirit and they interleaved. It was like shuffling them together rather than um, filling the person. So it looked like a very different thing. And just before that happened, I always saw a little spiral, of, of kind of like a, a bright and dark. It's kind of like a wave uh, that, spot, that spun at the base of their feet just before they started to topple over so I could I was always running to catch people before they fell because just before they would start to topple you could see I, you could see the little swirl under their feet but the point is none of that is sacred lore none of that is is anything other than my observation of how mm-hmm. I in, in, I felt it experienced it but it gave mm-hmm. me
2: ideas-hmm especially because like based on per culture, so uh, I know in Haitian Boudou, they mention the spirits coming from the feet up, you know, Um, some, uh, my godmother mentions quite frequently about how the spirits come to the back, you know, so I think that that's something, a very important thing to mention, is that how you perceive something is how you yourself as a human, as a witch, as a practitioner, are understanding that phenomenon. You know, so that you can also continue to recognize it in that manner, which it may not be, that may be your unverified personal gnosis, you know, but that is still absolutely valid because it allows you to recognize the the unseen world around you just based off of how you are perceiving it.
0: You know what I think is amazing? (laughs) What I think is amazing is that, like one of evo's books you know i know that there's casting sacred space and there's eyes of perception and there's spirit speak and now four elements i'm gonna have to go back over this podcast and listen to it multiple times because it's like all right i I just need to think about this right here for a whole week (laughs) i just need to think about this so i know that i've i'm i've always been an evo dominguez groupie i think that samuel might be joining me and maybe braxis too
3: When um, are, are you
2: going on tour? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I've take been it. waiting for for it to be
3: okay. Okay, I've got my shots. Is COVID is is COVID springing up again, or is it finally? Are are people finally getting a clue? So, but I am, uh, I am going to start traveling next year. You are um, because you know I could uh, I, I was walking around today in the world with a mask on. I guess I can continue to do that and go to places now, and as soon as they're, mm. they allow boosters, I'm going to get a booster, whatever it is, because yeah. I have asthma. I don't want to take chances. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
0: where, well, we could sit here all night with you, and I know we've had you for like an hour and a half, and I just want to keep going with well, Evo, but I, I don't want to take up too much of your night. Um, where can people learn a bit more about what you're going to be doing and when you venture out into the world again? Um where do we go? Where do yeah.
3: we go? I mean, the easiest way to get me is my website, Um sure you can find me on facebook and mm-hmm. on twitter and on instagram i'm not doing tiktok yet i don't know if i will so, <laughs> it's I, a I watch, it's I up, watch things on tiktok but i'm not sure if i know how to do a short format thing right. that <laughs> Anyway,
1: it's um, always the last one to be get integrated is tiktok but uh, <laughs>
3: uh but, but the reason i'm aiming people at my website is just, uh, a i list classes there and by the way right now for free there is a, on, on my teaching schedule at the top, there's actually a link so you can, a Dropbox link for the handout and the recording of a, cl- a free class that I did a while back that's about how to do, how a description of my process on how to do magical research. Ooh. So for free. That, that's, a, that's a good, good yeah. To check out. Also on that page, there's a link for my chat website that has a bunch of chants and audio files uh, oh. some by me some by other people that's always a useful thing and there's also the path workings there's a I, mm-hmm. we did a, uh, jim and i did a bunch of path workings for the holidays and for the moons and other things that were also available there so yeah uh, awesome that's probably a good place to catch up
0: i love those um the the path workings it always looks like oh yeah there's another one and it'll be around the sabbath time and i jump into bed and i put on my earbuds and i listen to them um i there is not a ritual that goes by that I'm writing that I do not visit your chant page. And if anybody doesn't know, oh. I remember the chant page before this chant page, Evo. The early version. The early one. Yeah. The, the yes. real audio version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so now you're rebuilding it back again on on this one. I yeah. definitely, you know, like I'll go through. There's maybe three places on the interwebs that I might go, but it's it's I definitely visit yours all the time, and there'll be one that that'll jump out, and, like, that one's perfect for, for what we're doing. So I so much appreciate that you put those out there, too, because there's, there, there's yes. even nuggets of inspiration for something you could be doing in a ritual that you find in a chant, which is super right. cool. Right. Yeah, and so thank you. I hope that you keep writing. Do you have anything, like, on the that you're cooking, do you think,
3: book-wise? Or are you Actually, need to break... Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm. Uh, I've got a couple of things. I'm actually working on two things right now. Uh, one, one is uh, only because it's easier for me if I'm bouncing back and forth between things rather than I have to stay on one task.
4: hmm
3: Um, I'm doing one that's kind of like the flip side to the to the psychic development book, The Keys to Perception. hmm And I'm calling the working title I'm using is Level Up, but it's basically exercises for moving, shaping, managing energy. It's all the active talents rather than the receptive talents. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And then who knows when it will eventually happen, but I'm also writing a book uh, on ritual design, but it's focused on these are the ways that you you debug your rituals, or how you consider what works and doesn't work for humans. It's i trying to leave out the parts that make it uh, tradition-specific, so that it's just ideas to to uh, rattle your head a little bit about how to write ritual or, or manage and perform ritual. Mm-hmm.
0: I will get that
2: you know. book immediately, Giulio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And maybe when the when the world shifts a little bit more back to normal we can all take a um a field road trip, trip road trip it to the library
1: yeah, yeah yeah could you talk a little bit more about the the uh second alexandria library is the, that the new, the, the new alexandria yeah
3: which 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 hit which uh, went into total lockdown mode when yeah uh, oh i bet it happened but uh it's basically almost completely cataloged now oh wow um, we were who knows when we'll do the official grand opening. Um, and, and once again, the thing that I always like to point out with that one is uh, the, the, there's no mortgage on the land. The building is paid for outright, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because you, if you want to do something, that's going to last after you're gone. You make sure that nobody's got a big bill to manage uh, to keep it going afterwards. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I'll say is that the land that we're on, when I was talking about Sealy court earlier, mm-hmm. the land's paid off. There's like, you know, no mortgage on our land or the chunk, the 30-some the acres that's the, that's the library's land. Um, nice. Our electric bill is zero because of the solar panels. We're good. It's awesome. I'm so
1: glad you guys are doing that. It's such a great yeah. idea.
2: Yeah. That's insane. That's incredible. No, 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 no. We have a 100-year plan
0: for the assembly. They do.
2: Oh, wow. They seriously they do. do. I'm serious.
0: <laughs> He's not <Awesome>. even kidding. <laughs> Well, maybe we can come to the grand opening.
1: Yeah, I'd love that if
0: you ever have uh, one.
3: If, if you want to be ridiculously geeky, uh, you know, I, I, so some of the inspiration for the uh, for the assembly stuff was several of us read uh, Asimov's Foundation trilogy when we were in high school, and we said,
4: "Hmm." <laughs> Everything's going to go to shit and ruin. What, what, what,
3: what can we do to hold things together or, or create little pockets that are safer? Yeah. Right. yeah.
0: And, and so ending up in Evo's backyard. Ready and apocalypse <laughs> <Right>. go. <laughs> Evo, 130%. thank you so, so much. You are such a treasure. You really are. And thank you thank for sharing you this knowledge with us, not only in your books, but here for taking this time. Absolutely. Thank you. We really
1: appreciate it. I had a, so I had a, a nerd moment <laughs> when I was reading your book. <clears throat> um, when you described the shape of water, I was like, next time I'm at Dungeons & Dragons, I'm rolling my water dice, man.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah.
1: Hell yeah. yeah.
3: Nerd. Yeah,
1: nerd. <laughs> Good times. We're so glad that you could do this I, with this. I still deal. have my
3: black and white cardboard box of, of the first edition of Dungeons
1: & Oh, Universe really? Oh, me. awesome, man. <laughs> What are they on now? Fifth edition, I think, is what it is now. Fifth edition. Man. Nerd. (laughs) Thank you for being
2: on here with us. It was a lot of fun. It's been a treat. An absolute fantastic.
0: I felt like we're going to have to be able to... Open these bags. So one thing that you're gonna need to do for the rest of this podcast, Samuel, is pick your snack yep. of the episode. The snack of this episode, oh. I got junk candy. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of junky, but that's what I saw a movie yeah. I was in. We've got Reese's miniature cups with pretzels. <coughs> this is where we're gonna cough a lot. Yeah, are you
1: fucking recording this? <laughs> you yeah. are. You are. <laughs> sure. And
0: Kit Kat minis unwrapped. Ha <laughs> ha